Athletics Podcast. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of, well, we'll get to that in a minute. On this episode, a fresh start in more ways than one. As the intersection of motorsports and analytics takes on a new future, we'll take a close look at Chandler Smith and tell you what it means for talent scouting as a whole. And our race preview is back. Feels so good to say we've got two races coming up in the next week. But first, as always, this is episode 61 of Positive Regression. This is the Richie Evans edition. David, I know a lot of racing nerds will love to hear that name on this one. I say that with love because I am one of those racing nerds. This may be one of the first times we've ventured outside the Cup Series for one of these names. Uh, the 61, David, in the Cup Series doesn't really have a storied history. Uh, no victories to that number. Last driven by names like Chad Chafin, Kevin LePage, Johnny Rutherford, Haas Ellington drove the 61. But if we're being real, the most famous 61 is Hall of Famer modified driver Richie Evans. Yeah, and I mean, he is synonymous with the number 61. He is synonymous with the color orange. Orange. I mean, there are not, not many drivers we can say that about, but, uh, Alan, this is special and I'm going to do something that I've never done before in this segment. And I'm going to yield my time to a gentleman by the name of Bones Borsier. Many lifetimes ago, Bones and I were both scouts working for MMI, and to me, he set the bar uh, that I think I'm still trying to clear. He was incredible. He was also a top-notch writer. He co-wrote Tony Stewart's autobiography, and he was the biographer for Richie Evans. Uh, Bones's book, Richie, I think is a must read. So I, I can't think of anything, uh, anybody better to yield my time to. So I reached out to him this week and I asked him why Richie's legacy is so important. And he wrote, I guess the thing that always jumps out about Richie is the combination of nine NASCAR modified championships and an equal number of NASCAR most popular driver awards for oh. that division. So many winners and champions only become uber popular in their gray fading years or sadly after they're gone. But Richie had that while he was at his peak. It was amazing how many fans felt personally connected to that man and how many racers felt the same. Richie had a Pied Piper-like ability to get folks to attend the races he ran back in the days when there were multiple modified options on the same evening. If he was at Stafford, Connecticut on a Friday night and planned to follow that up with a Saturday night at Riverside Park yeah. in Massachusetts, just 20 miles up the road, his tribe would go there. But if the weekend meant Friday night at Stafford and then Saturday night in Oswego, New York, a lot of folks would make that four to five hour trip, even though Richie would be back in Connecticut at Thompson Speedway on Sunday. He had every bit of the winner charisma we now associate with Earnhardt, but without the keep your distance vibe that always surrounded Dale. The only guy in the same popular champion category that I've ever seen was Dick Trickle. They both raced hard, but fair. 
They both freely shared setup advice and driving tips with the rivals, and they were both deeply admired by fans who came to feel as if they were part of something. So that's uh, that's the master, in my opinion, Bones Borsio on uh, Richie Evans, and I think Allen just he's in the Hall of Fame, and yeah. the the stats bear out the story, but I think just the the larger notion of his place in auto racing was the fact that he was just this massive uh, force of personality. And I think that that's a testament to why he got in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Some people will argue about modified drivers, about lower series, but if there was going to be one, it was going to be Richie Evans. And and I'm not old enough. I don't know. You are, nor I are are old enough to really appreciate his career. He was tragically killed, I believe, in 1985 in Martinsville, of all places. Uh, You know, for for those that didn't know that or who could look past the danger of auto racing on a short track, just a, a sad ending. But, uh, you know, just looking back on his stats and learning more about him, Dave, you mentioned all those tracks. I grew up in Connecticut, David, Stafford Motor Speedway, Thompson Speedway, Riverside, which is no longer exists because Six Flags is there. Uh, I mean, hearing what he did at those tracks, you know, track championships and all those wins, uh, an appropriate number 61. Episode 61, this one goes out to you, Richie Evans. All right, Dave, let's get this episode started because uh, we have something to discuss with you. Uh, a new beginning for you, which unfortunately comes with an ending of sorts, but again, a new beginning. I'll let you take it from there. Uh, okay, so firstly, I want to thank everyone who reached out with uh, support over the last few days. Uh, I announced on Twitter that I had been laid off uh, by the athletic, I gotta tell you, the, the support that, that you sent me, it was sincere. It was noticed and I appreciate it deeply. I really do. I had known for 30 days. I was given a 30 day notice, uh, the same notice, uh, that a good number of other great writers and editors at the athletic received. And even with a month to come to grips with it all, it still sucked to send that tweet out into the, uh, into the ether. And not because it's a loss of income or status. That never, that never really, never really does it for me. But the team I was with, uh, Jeff Gluck, Jordan Bianchi, and Allison Sneeg, um, this team, we were an egoless, synchronized machine and it was Amazing. I would be lying if I told you that I was not going to miss that. But the silver lining of it all is that I, uh, I'm pretty perceptive. I can tell which way the wind's blowing. And I know I mentioned a few episodes ago that I'm probably on the chopping block if things get really bad. So I kind of knew what was coming. My wheels were turning. Uh, and then I had an official 30 day notice. Uh, and I used that time wisely. My wheels were turning. I used it to to rebuild motorsportsanalytics.com from the ground up. And I do want to take this time to thank Marcus, Jason, Michael, Caitlin, and Eric, um, and folks like my buddy Alan here, who beta tested uh, the new website behind the scenes. It was a massive undertaking in a uh, short time frame and and probably wouldn't have been able to be uh, done this quickly if it wasn't for the pandemic. So kind of odd, odd irony there. Um, I'm biased, but I think we did a pretty good job with it all. We launched this Monday, the new look motorsports analytics, 
And, uh, man, the, the response was, uh, terrific. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, what we have in store going forward. Yeah. A great looking website. Hopefully you've already been there. The new motorsportsanalytics.com. Uh, I don't know the inspiration behind it, David, because your work is now more widely available than it ever has been. And I just think that's a blessing for the entire racing community. I, look, I know there's, there's finances and stuff. People have to worry about yourself. You have a family and all that stuff, but your work is out there and people are benefiting from it already. Your work makes smarter race fans and you are offering it to people to, uh, see beyond without a paywall. And I think the information they're getting is quite valuable. What is your approach to your new website? Yeah. The new motorsports analytics. I've been writing behind a paywall since 2012. So, uh, to see an article about Chandler Smith get a lot of play and a lot of people reading it is kind of wild. Um, the, uh, as you mentioned, that wall has come down. The analysis on motorsports analytics is free and it's going to be that way going forward. Uh, in fact, if you want articles emailed directly to your inbox, there is a sign up form on the bottom of the home page. Email delivery is free. I promise I will not sell your name to a third party. All I want to do is deliver you quality analysis. Now, I've seen these TikTok videos everyone has been watching during the quarantine. I'm willing to bet money. I can do better than that. And it's free <laughs> now, so you have no excuse. Uh, this is the new era of motorsports analytics. It is something that I hope all of you enjoy. Now, David, your work is unique and it is valuable as, uh, people are getting a taste of and, but there, there's more to it. There, there's more information out there. There are different ways to, uh, be a part of your site and support it and certainly support this podcast. Uh, you, you're not going at this alone. Is that, is, is that a fair way to say it? <laughs> Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Motorsports analytics has launched a Patreon account. Uh, it can be found at patreon.com backslash motorsports analytics. There are five different membership tiers, including tiers that will allow you to influence what you and I discuss, uh, Alan on positive regression. And I got to tell you my personal favorite tier. I think this is what I call the, uh, the Wendell Scott patrons here. It includes all 2020 Cup Series stats, stats for Xfinity, Truck, and ARCA. It has the whole historical backlog. It gets you a shout out on the podcast. Nice. And we have to answer any questions you have on the <laughs> podcast within within reason, of course. Um, but that's not all. The, the Wendell Scott patrons, if you are subscribed to that, you will receive successive volumes of the Motorsports Analytics Prospect Bible. Uh, I am going to do two of these a year. I've had this idea for a while, and I'm pretty excited about it. They will feature NASCAR Prospect dossiers filled with illustrations, little cartoon versions of drivers, and graphs and charts and all the bells and whistles Motorsports Analytics fans love. I've already started working on Volume 1, which will come out in the second half of 2020. And the content in these ebooks will be exclusive to the ebooks. It will not be published elsewhere. So do please give that consideration, especially if uh, if you dig what we do, uh, I think you're going to like the stuff we have in store for you. I think that's a good way to put it. If you enjoy David's work, if it has made you smarter, if it has made you a better race fan, go out there and support it. It is well worth a little coin.
And David, let's uh, let's start talking about one of the, you mentioned it, Chandler Smith. You wrote an article about him. It is uh, very popular for good reason because one of the first articles up there available to the masses was about him, an in-depth look at what turned many people on to this young man, including yourself, because it included a trip to his house in Georgia. And uh, I, you can pick up the story from there. But it's a good article because it really goes into the depths of how how a young prospect came across your radar and then kind of how a career takes off from there. And you've played many different roles and seen many different ways how that works, including with young Mr. Smith. Yeah, and, and I knew that the the first subject of the, uh, the 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 new era of motorsports analytics, I knew this would be important. And I even during the off season, I thought a lot about Chandler Smith, and I didn't make too many uh, house calls for recruiting purposes when I was uh, a scout working for an agency. But Chandler got one; uh, he was one of the few, and I think it was worth it. But to me. He's important uh, as a prospect. He's arguably the most important prospect that we've had come along in a long time because he experienced struggle uh, going two ways, really. His super late model team was not what you see usually at the short track level in some of these big races. It wasn't a powerhouse. It was a small team. Uh, now, a uh, guy by the name of Ricky Turner. He is a former Snowball Derby winner himself. He was the crew chief, and Turner was Chase Elliott's late model crew chief. But the Smiths lacked the Chase Elliott money, so things were a little more modest around this team. So when Chandler Smith was ripping off these high finishes after high finishes, it was it was because he was being smart and talented, not because he had this massive mechanical advantage. And the other side of that, and this is what Billy Venturini, his team owner in the ARCA series, uh, told me in my interview with him, is that the team was content on letting him make his own decisions behind the wheel, even if he lost races, just so that he could learn. Uh, he could learn what to avoid doing. He could learn not to ignore a team game plan. And that's interesting to me. If you have the opportunity, whenever our, whenever we go back racing at the short track level or where we're seeing ARCA uh, trucks um, in ARCA East and West on a regular basis, listen to a spotter or a crew chief of a young driver. The conversation that you'll hear is mostly one way. You're going to hear a lot of direction that is either limiting or too much of a safety net. And, you know, I think about this when I think about Sheldon Creed in the truck series. N not a top 10 prospect, um, but he's interesting, Alan. Sheldon Creed loses a lot of positions on restarts. But when you watch him closely, he doesn't lose these positions because he's t a terrible driver. It's because he's doing weird, wild, aggressive <laughs> things. And sometimes, not enough of the time, but sometimes... It works very well, like ridiculously well. And I think there is room at the top levels of racing for this kind of creativity and talent developed by trying and failing. And with Sheldon Creed, instead of being overcoached and completely eliminating what he's doing on these restarts altogether, 
what if he's only one tweak away? What if it's just one small change from becoming one of the sport's elite restarters? We don't know, but we do know with Chandler Smith what happened after he failed. He's made corrections to the point that Billy Venturini thinks he's pretty close to unbeatable at that level. And I believe that to be true. Uh, and certainly what is bearing out in his production numbers. And David, speaking of those mistakes, I mean, one thing your article points out is that if he, if the lack of wins, if there was a lack of wins, right, in the, in the stat column, no one was overthinking it because was that because he is so young or because we see so much with prospects, you know, if that immediate success isn't there, it, it's like they get washed away and thrown out. You know, there's just a small window. It, it seems like with Chandler Smith, the way you, the way you put it in the article, it's a little different or there's there's more leeway in terms of not wins don't count for everything it's the the process that they're focused on yeah and over the last few years maybe the last eight years or so we all stopped caring about who finished third or or finished fifth in a late model race and i'm not you know i'm not going to stand on a soapbox and and say nascar driver development became all about the money. Um, that's kind of always been the case, right? Guys have been buying their rides for years. None of that's new. But the the dismissal of young drivers, or any driver for that matter, who are carrying their teams on their backs at the grassroots level is new for this current era. We're, we're dismissing guys because they just aren't getting that first place spot at the end of the night. And that's just, that's not fair. Um, what, what we've been seeing lately are racer dads buying a bunch of different late models and running their kids teams like it was an Xfinity series program, or they place their kid at whatever turnkey team was ready to win and not to knock that it's its own business and late model racing is its own ecosystem. But that became a trend almost as if you had to do it. And I don't believe that to be true. There are pathways to being noticed, one of which should be scoring finishes far better than what you should have been earning. So when young Chandler Smith finished third in a super late model race in his family car at Bristol, and by the way, the winner of that race was Bubba Wallace, that was a humongous deal for Chandler. And for whatever reason, after years of teams and manufacturers and agents ignoring this kind of thing, everybody took notice, much to my chagrin. I kind of thought I was going to be the only one that signed him but or tried to sign him, but whatever. <laughs> but he, Chandler didn't sign with an agent. Toyota spotted him and signed him, and good on Toyota. That's, that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. And he's here. So his success would represent what could be a new normal uh, and a big course correction for how drivers are being considered. And, and, and USAC right now, there is a young driver who is also already in the Toyota pipeline. His name's Cannon McIntosh. I ranked him 36th on my top 50 prospects list. And McIntosh for all of 2019 drove his family car. He finished third in his qualifying night at the Chili Bowl and he nearly won uh, Turkey night. Big midget race out in California. He outran the Keith Coons Motorsports cars a lot, especially in those big races. And he earned himself a Keith Coons ride for all of 2020. 
he made his first start during last January's Chili Bowl. And uh, Alan, do you care to guess where he finished in his very first race for Keith Goons Motorsports? I don't know. I'm sorry. That's he won it. <laughs> he won the Chili Bowl. So, he well, first on qualifying night, not the Chili Bowl. Oh, oh I was, I was well, like, but... what did I miss? I did not miss this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he yeah, he won his qualifying night. Calm down, dirt fans. Years. Calm down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. Seventeen years old, and um. You know, it's a weird line of thought. I think he either owes something to Chandler Smith for being given this kind of consideration or just due to this change in the logic that also provided uh, a worthwhile home for Chandler Smith. I think this is a driver that could receive that. Is that the bigger effect here if Chandler continues to have the success more than he's already had? Uh, Does this change – potentially scouting uh, for the next big prospect or the next young prospect or the next overlooked prospect? I think it does because if, I mean, if you think back to, you know, Davey Allison came in early, but nobody really went after a young driver after seeing Davey have success, but very quickly it, it sort of avalanched after Jeff Gordon hit the scene for sure. And then Tony Stewart, kind of nailed things home is all of a sudden everyone was looking for young USACers. Uh, some proved very well. I think Casey Kane um, was a worthy hire. Some did not pan out. And we see trends. There was an entire trend of teams signing motocross riders. I'm not sure that that was ever a good idea, but it was, and it was this, you know, see it once, try to copy it just to stay on top of whatever the trend is. And in this case, if Chandler has substantial success, everyone's going to want their own Chandler Smith, which means they're going to go back to the well and try to look at someone who progressed similar to Chandler Smith. And the good news for a lot of prospects out there, because they might not have the family money to build the stout powerhouse of a short track team, is the the kids finishing third, finishing fifth, finishing seventh with you know, a 15th place car, they might soon matter a little bit more than they have in previous years. And that is a tremendous impact that uh, Chandler Smith would have on the sport as a whole, just simply by being himself. Good stuff. And again, you can read that article right now on motorsportsanalytics.com. Make sure you go check that out. Next up here on Positive Regression, our race preview is back, David, because we are heading to Darlington. And guess what? This week's race preview is sponsored by MonkeyKnifeFight.com. If you're listening to Positive Regression, there's a good chance you are interested in playing daily fantasy sports. And if that's the case, MonkeyKnifeFight.com is the daily fantasy site for you. It's the fastest growing daily fantasy website on the planet. And for good reason. Unlike other sites, you're playing against the house. That's right. No sharks, no confusing interface, no need to learn coding in order to have a chance at winning. All you need is knowledge. And I know positive regression listeners are smart. That's why you're listening to us. We try to help you out. This weekend specifically, there are NASCAR games and monkeyknifefight.com is doing something cool for the listeners of this podcast. If you sign up for a new account using the promo code POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, you will receive 100% match bonus up to $50. Again, just use the promo code POSREGPOD at monkeyknifefight.com. Stage and age restrictions apply. See site for full terms and restrictions. 
David, it's so good to be previewing a race once again, a race or two races, actually, uh, down in Darlington, the Lady in Black, the track too tough to tame. We can go back to what? Just last Labor Day for the last race there. And the winner was Eric Jones. Um, any win at Darlington is a big one. Looking back at it, he led 79 laps. He had a good long run car. To me, that, that tells me type of driver, type of team that can manage the tire wear, keep up with the volatile track. What did you think of back? If we look back quick on that win, what did you think of that win? Well earned? I think if you look back at Eric Jones's race finishes, all of them are in the top eight at Darlington. And I think it makes sense. I don't believe that this is a like for like comparison, but my, by my observation, how cars seem to drive and react to Darlington as a track, it looks similar to how super late models drive and react at Winchester, uh, hard on tires, bouncing, chopping, the, the fastest line is close to the wall. And they aren't the same track. Winchester is a half mile, but I believe a lot of the same principles apply. Eric Jones has been in four Winchester 400s. He has won it three times, and in the outlier, he led 99 laps. So it would not shock me if his desired feel, like what he wants his car to be able to do, is similar to what he'd prefer at Winchester. Uh, you won't do the same things. It's a different car, obviously. But the feel, I can see being something that translates. And last year's race was, I, I think, a legitimate win for him because there were different points in the race, even on the, the very final restart, which came with like 90 to go. It ended on a long run, but he beat Kyle Busch off the final restart. I mean, he, he was, he was kind of flexing on everybody mm -hmm. and, uh, and regained the lead with 40 to go. He was manhandling the car in a good way. And, you know, speaking to what we talked about last week about Joe Gibbs racing and their speed that didn't show up on the West coast swing, uh, the number 20 car ranks 18th in central speed coming into these Darlington races. And Jones comes to mind as someone who, if his speed is off again uh, here this weekend and next Wednesday, then based on what he's been able to do at this track in the past, a bad performance might actually be more indicative of the team and not the driver. Something to think about. Interesting, because we're going to get, uh, you know, we've had four races so far this season. We're going to have four in about, what, 11 days. So we're going to learn a lot about these teams and if they're trending up or trending downward very quickly. So that's something to look at. I like that. In terms of Darlington itself, uh, you, you mentioned uh, having to battle, I think it was Kyle Larson on the late restart. Eric Jones had to at Darlington. What do we know about uh, the restart lanes there? What's what's the preferred groove, the non-preferred groove? And of course, you have to think about tire wear. What, what do we know about the track? Jones's lap times were in the 29 second bracket for about eight laps on new tires. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was the, the high point was, uh, 29.17 on lap 209 late in the race. And then by lap 254, uh, he had encountered traffic, but lap times dropped by over two seconds to the 31.5s. Uh, and this is normal for this track. It's something to be expected, but it could play havoc on handling if the setup is bad or the uh, the driver is just completely unable to articulate what's happening. 
and there will be a separation in this regard. We'll certainly see it. You're watching the race from home, uh, a car slightly off balance one way or the other, and that balance being relative to the driver, but just a small imbalance could mean an extraordinarily bad race. Um, whereas when we get to Charlotte, it's going to kind of just be car dependent. Like a good, if there's a good car, we'll see it. If there's a bad car, it might be masked a little bit here. Uh, I don't know, man. If the car's bad, it's going to be a bad night. So restarts. Uh, let, let's talk about this, uh, little oddity here. The non-preferred groove, which at Darlington is the inside, rows four, five, and six, the, those spots, they failed to retain a single spot in this entire race. Wow. You're probably wondering, <laughs> well, all it takes is one, you know, bad restart by a driver higher in the, in the field and the whole line gets backed up. But oh no, there were eight clean restarts in the 2019 race. That is a high number. Right here, you have 24 opportunities to successfully defend a position and the field itself went over. And these spots were not occupied by bad restarters. That's the crazy thing. Kevin Harvick makes up for five of these failures to retain. Martin Truex had four. Joey Logano had three. Brad Keselowski had one. Kurt Busch had one. And Chris Busher, who we need to remind our listeners, ranked as one of the top five non-preferred groove restarters last year, also had one. Alan, to call the non-preferred groove at Darlington, the, the inside line, to call that a trouble spot would be a gross understatement. <laughs> Cars only saw 21% retention for the race. It got a lot better at the front of the field, especially in the front row where you can kind of press a little bit more and there's more room to be dicey. But my goodness, every team would love to avoid these spots, but I'm not sure there is much they can do about it. Interesting. That'll be fun to watch on Sunday. Uh, something to pay attention to on every uh, green flag restart. Uh, David, that, that's, I, I guess you could throw that in as one wild card, but there will be many wild cards this weekend because it really is in terms of preparation, in terms of execution, in terms of how the show will look with no fans. Th- this will be a race unlike any other that any of the competitors, any of us covering it, any of the fans at home ha- have ever seen, really. I mean, again, there's no practice. There's no qualifying. They've been off for two months. Uh, and, you know, the number of teams, the number of people per team will be lower. The, the way they can be around the car and go through inspection, everything will be different. They'll have to be wearing masks. So many little things will change for so many of these teams, for all the teams, and for all of us watching and covering it. And, and it's at a wild card track like Darlington, which can be volatile. Well, David, what are you, what are you looking at in terms of the biggest wild card that could maybe, I don't know, affect a team or just the strangest thing you'll think will be seen on Sunday? Uh, well, okay. The strangest thing's probably just a, a different answer entirely, right? Oh man. I don't, I, I don't even know what to expect. I mean, it's worth tuning in to find out. I'll yeah. tell you that. But, um, so, okay. So I, 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 I did this math. The Phoenix race. The last time the Cup Series was on the track was March 8th, and Sunday will be May 17th, and that is eh, about 70 days in between races, right? The most recent NASCAR offseason was a little over 80 days between Homestead and the Bush Clash. This was really close to acting as a second offseason with the only caveat being you weren't allowed to congregate 
in the shop for most of it. And if we subscribe to the notion that drivers get rusty, it's something that we always talk about at uh, Come Speed Weeks. If we subscribe to that theory, they weren't in actual cars for over two months. And Darlington feels like a truly bad place <laughs> to just come in cold turkey, no rhythm, and no practice. And it would not shock me, honestly, if we see a high number of accidents and restarts, this first race at least, the, the longer the two, might be decided on short runs, kind of counter to what we've seen in the past at Darlington. And at the very least, I think that most teams will recognize the tire fall off and roll in with a setup that's optimized for getting balance on old tires. And I get that, but I bet there's one or two teams, maybe more than a few, kind of thinking the way I'm thinking that this is going to be a race heavier on restarts than we've seen in the past at Darlington. Just go for broke with a short run car. And for some, I think this is totally worth the risk. Interesting. And we, look, without practice, you may be spot on because, uh, you know, in talking with teams and, and some crew chiefs, uh, the lack of practice is a big deal. I know there's a bunch of notes and they've had the cars built. They're very similar to the Atlanta cars. So they haven't had to worry too much in terms of that kind of preparation. But the practice time is quite valuable for optimizing everything they have, you know, perfecting the setups, making sure everything, it, you know, nothing's dragging, engine tuning, all that sort of stuff. That that's all they won't have that that time and that that time afforded to them to optimize their cars. And we heard from NASCAR this week that they'll have a competition caution that'll freeze the field at least early on, so they'll at least be able to make some adjustments early in the race. I think about lap thirty, but little things like that I I think are going to make a huge difference. And again, it depends on who you ask in terms of uh, what they think the weirdest thing will be. You know, some people are are not used to wearing a mask and they're going to have to at all times. Uh, I think my, my coworker, Jamie Little, you know, talked with Chris Gale, Eric Jones's crew chief, and he said, you know, they haven't seen each other in person, Chris Gale and Eric Jones, in, in well more than a month, and they may not see each other until right before he climbs in the car. I mean, think about that, David. Just think about like a head coach and a player or people not talk, you know, all the communication you're supposed to have and, that may not happen. That's the kind of world we will live in on Sunday and people are going to have to get used to it. And all these teams are going to have to adapt really quickly. It's just, it's just odd to think about and we're all going to be experiencing it together. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Not even, not even talking to your crew chief, like right before, right before the race. Like, yeah. Oh, Hey, how have you been? Yeah, by, the right? way, by the way, can I get, can I get water temps? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, yeah, you hope the radios work and it's just, uh, yeah. but it's also a testament to everyone coming together and making this work because everyone's having to learn, adapt and sacrifice. So, Hey, that's why we have a podcast. That's why we have something we talk about uh, a sport we love. It's really awesome. Um, Everything, so every week, uh, every episode this year, we have picked contrarian contenders, David. Someone maybe kind of off the radar for a Darlington race or a particular race weekend. Uh, if for the listeners who remember, David has been pretty damn good at this so far this season and, and being really good at picking someone who might get a, a surprise top five or a surprise top three or what have you. So David, let's start the streak again. Your contrarian contender for Darlington next week. My pick is Ryan Blaney, and I'm going to tell you why. I think probably a lot of listeners are thinking, hmm, he might be a favorite. Well, you'd be wrong, because <laughs> a few sports books this week 
made Ryan Blaney the driver of what is currently the second fastest car in the series per central speed, which now you can find on the new Motorsports Analytics. Ryan Blaney, a 30-to-1 pick to win Sunday's race. Alan, also a 30-to-1 pick is Matt Kenseth. That's, How? That's a kick I don't, in the nuts. I, so disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. So disrespectful to Ryan. Oh my gosh. So here's what I can see. Blaney hasn't ever finished better than 13th at Darlington. Okay. So I, I got that. That's, that's on the wall. We know that, but his crew chief, Todd Gordon has produced cars that finished in the top five, three times in the last five Darlington races. Now, Joey Logano was driving those cars, <laughs> but Blaney's performance this year, I would argue, is reminiscent of Logano about four or five years ago. Blaney is getting after it. He's among the top four restarters. And if my hunch is correct and this is a restart race, then that really suits him. And that coupled with the fact that, oh, by the way, he's got one of the fastest cars in the field. I think he'll be fine. Certainly far better than a 30 to one choice. Come on, Vegas. There you go, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're paying attention this year, I, I think that is a great contrarian contender choice. David, I'm going with uh, Kurt Busch. Uh, just the volatility of this race, all the unknowns. I, I enjoy picking a veteran who knows how to get around this place. And Kurt Busch led uh, one, nearly 100 laps in last year's race. If you look back the last five years, he's had top seven finishes. He crashed once. I'll give him that. But the rest of the time when he is finishing, he's finishing top seven. So not bad for uh, for the 41-year-old. And Look, I mean, I think he can do it again. I think he's got the speed, and I guess I'm just relying heavy on experience. When the, when there's so many unknowns, and I know we have a small data set for this year, but when there's so many unknowns, I'm going with a veteran. I'm going with a champion guy who has proven he can get around Darlington. So I, I'm going to pick Kurt Busch as my contrarian contender. I totally see him hopping out of the car as the winner while wearing a face mask or something that, that <laughs> like I can easily envision that it's not even fair. Like it's, of course it makes all the sense. I don't know why, but sure. that's just, that just kind of, that's kind of Kurt Busch now. Like that's the experience. So I don't know. Good. The pretty, pretty good choice in a, in a track that probably, probably suits him um pretty well, just from a stylistic uh standpoint. And again, I mean, tire wear this weekend, it is going to be, um, the ultimate separator. It's going to come down to really which of these guys can come in cold turkey and manage a car like they've been in a rhythm. That's kind of why I like Darlington being close to the end of the year is all of these drivers came in like hat with the rhythm, like had their system fully operational. I think this race is going to be absolutely wild. Good. And uh, that's what we want. We need a show. Why not? We've had it. We've waited long enough. The world will be watching. Let's have let's have a show. So, David, I'm just glad we're talking about racing once again. Another good episode of Positive Regression. And don't you worry, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We're available no matter your device. And get this: our entire catalog, all 61 episodes, are available for free at PauseRegPod. 
com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. This does help in spreading the word. We notice that stuff and it is so appreciated. Tell a friend if you like this stuff. If you learned something, tell your friend about positive regression. If you have any questions, send them to us on Twitter on POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. We love answering questions. David, uh, you're a little busy because you started a new venture, motorsportsanalytics.com. What are you working on for your brand new website? You know, this week on Motorsports Analytics, I posted a uh, some graphs, a little new toy I, I call the spider chart. And I think this is going to be important for our listeners uh, to use these charts to help understand what teams do well in terms of their track position habits. What are their strengths? What are their styles? And I highlighted a few teams um, just to kind of uh, get readers, get the, get the hang of it a little bit. And uh, you'll be seeing the spider chart frequently in upcoming articles on motorsportsanalytics.com. So go log on, enjoy it. It's free. Get acquainted with uh, all the new stuff. Uh, I, I have a hunch our listeners will like it. Yeah, you really will. You'll learn a lot. And the spider chart is something I had to learn. You'll, uh, you'll learn a lot in learning a lot, if that makes sense. And uh, it makes you a better viewer when it comes to the racing on Sunday. Speaking of, make sure you watch Darlington on Sunday on Fox. It's going to be awesome. We have a lot of programming the next few weeks. So make sure you're watching all the green flag action. Watch Race Hub Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. Uh, David, as of, uh, Recording this podcast, make sure you get up on Friday morning really early and watch Fox and Friends because I believe I'm scheduled to be on talking about the race coming up in Darlington at the bright early hour of 5.50 a.m. But hey, a lot of you are up. A lot of you are listening. Hopefully a lot of you are watching and we'll talk some Darlington. So and then on Sunday. I'm going to be just like every one of us listening. I'm going to be a, a viewer from afar, and I'm just going to enjoy some NASCAR auto racing. And I hope you do, too. And thank you for listening to Positive Regression. Thank you for following David Smith. Go to his new website, motorsportsanalytics.com. For Positive Regression, I'm Alan Kavana. He's David Smith. Have a great weekend. liked me that way deal because it's one thing to receive mcdonald's but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you mcdonald's breakfast still hot in the bag appreciate you there's a deal for every morning now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks prices and participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.